One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's opening day in Major League Baseball. Should be a national holiday, but for now, we'll have to look forward to the American League champion Tampa Bay Rays in Miami to play the Marlins at 4.10 p.m. first pitch. How will Tyler Glass now handle the role as the Rays' ace? And what about the rest of the rotation? Who steps up for the Rays with the loss of Nick Anderson in the bullpen? And is this the best offensive club the Rays have ever begun the season with? We'll ask all those questions and more with Mark Topkin, who covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. We'll get to Mark in just a second. Looking forward to opening day, as always. Uh, But on, I guess it was on Wednesday, Joel Glazer, the co-chairman of the Tampa Bay Bucks, had a chance to uh, talk with writers virtually. Typically, this would be the week of the NFL owners' meetings, which they did virtually. Of course, we mentioned the 17th game of the season that they passed uh, just the other day. Um, but Joel was able to, uh, to join us. And, and what, what this is, is funny cause I've done a million of these and, and every year it's usually about, you know, they've changed the coach, they've changed the quarterback. Um, you know, they've had a losing season. They didn't make the playoffs. I mean, this has been going on now or had gone on for about 12 years. You know, we went from, John Gruden to Raheem Morris to Greg Schiano to Lovey Smith to Dirk Cutter and so on. Finally, Bruce Arians and and the one year he had with Jameis Winston always started the same. It was like, "Hey Joel, uh, where do you go from here? You know, what'd you think of the season?" Um, but this year, Joel and and the Glazer family uh, should take a bow. They should um, take their victory lap because they are the world champions. They got it done. It, it's been a process. I applaud them. Uh, first and foremost, you know, for for sticking with Jason Light, for uh, wanting some continuity, even through all these coaching changes. Of course, Jason um, came in with Lovey Smith, uh, you know, hired Dirk Cutter, was able to then hire another head coach in Bruce Arians, uh, and they and they stuck with him, and, and it's worked. He's slowly learned from his mistakes, built a pretty good football team, and of course, the big piece and what Joel talked about as much as anything, and, and you would expect that is Tom Brady. And, you know, according to Joel, he says, you know, I, um, we talk a lot about culture and we've talked about it on this podcast, but, but you know what? Tom Brady is the culture. You take a guy, uh, who has won as much as he has, who, uh, is as driven as he is. And, you know, he really just imparted a lot of those things, a lot of that work ethic, that self selflessness, um, you know, all those things that make world champions. And, you know, they saw that every day. You know, the owners uh, are, are around the uh, training center quite a bit, Brian and Joel, and, of course, um, their sister, uh, Darcy uh, Glazer-Katzowitz, is over there quite a bit. And and they could see this thing coming together. But I think what made them the most proud was that in a year with a pandemic, with with not just this area but the whole world going through it, but particularly Tampa Bay, um, and, and, you know, in a, in a tough season and they were hosting the Super Bowl, but for them to win this year and to go on and, and, you know, be the first team, uh, to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium and win it was really, really special to them because it was special to their fans. And you could really 
uh, hear that in Joel's voice and, and appreciate it for what it's worth. Look, um, I've always said this, and I remember where this franchise was when it was turned over to the Glazer family in, in 95, you know, the Hugh Culver house had owned it. He died. Um, it went into a charitable trust. The trust sold it to the Glazer family and they rebranded the team. They brought in Tony Dungy. They made a lot of the right moves with Malcolm, uh, who was a patriarch of the family at the time. And they became a perennial playoff contender. And then, you know, with the trade of John Gruden won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Malcolm had, had a stroke, the, his sons and his family took over, uh, and it hasn't been very successful. And that might be an understatement, but I've always said this, it's, it's never been a lack of resources. It's never been for a lack of them wanting to win, trying to win. You could, you could argue that, you know, maybe they, they didn't always hire the right people or the best people or, weren't able to get, you know, some of the ones that they chased, like, like a Bill Parcells and, um, you know, Chip Kelly one time, I mean, they, they were always, you know, big game hunters, but they did manage to get it right this time. And, you know, you credit them for putting together an organization that was attractive enough to Tom Brady, you know, not just with the personnel, but, but everything that surrounds it, you know, there's more to it than, than teammates. I mean, whether you're talking about facilities or, um, you know, money for free agents, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Coaching staff, one of the largest coaching staffs uh, in the NFL and, and one that's very di- diversified. All that stuff are ownership decisions, all of it. And, you know, they s- step back out of the way and, and let guys do their jobs. But um, you got to give the Glazers credit for uh, putting together the world champion and and this will go unnoticed, but, um, you know, the fact of, of them wanting to keep the team together and providing the resources. And what I mean by that, there's a salary cap and it's going to go up over the you know future years with the new TV deal and all of that. Um, but when you restructure contracts and you start paying enormous signing bonuses so you can defer some of that money uh, to lower the salary cap value of those contracts and defer it to later years, you're having to dip into real cash, um, maybe even before you get, you know, paid uh, the TV money, whenever that comes around. So, you know, they, they have not been a team that's done a lot of signing bonuses, um, but but they did in this instance to keep, you know, all 22 starters together. And you have to credit the Glazers for their willingness to do that as well. So uh, it was a good interview. Check it out. Joy Knight wrote a story in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. And... Um, yeah, I'm 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 happy I am I am happy for the Glazers in this sense that um you know there's been times when I think you know they've gotten criticized and and some of it's been warranted uh and they know that but um in this instance uh you know look there there's not that many franchises that have won two Super Bowls much less there's a bunch that haven't won any so at least Champa Bay uh held up their end of the bargain there uh with the Bucks there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
All right, Mark Topkin joins us now. And uh, Mark, uh, it's here, opening day, exciting 2021 season. Everyone hopes uh, that they can make it through 162 games. This will be uh, quite a challenge, as as always. I, I wanted to talk about the Rays, obviously, and their prospects for the year. But but I, I want to start with their opening day starter, Tyler Glass. Now, you wrote a story about Tyler. Uh, listen, he's a pretty introspective guy to begin with. I'm wondering how he's going to adapt to this new role as the number one starter. I think that's a really good question, Rick. Um, I, I think because he, as you say, he's got a little bit of a different take on the world, a little bit of a different slant, especially being a right-hander. He's got a little bit of a left-hander's view of the world. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think he appreciates the opportunity he's getting. You think about this. I mean, when the Rays made that trade in July of 2018, sending Chris Archer to the Pirates to get Glassdown Meadows and Shane Boz, Tyler Glassdown was 24 years old. He was a fifth-round pick who'd already kind of been, like, pushed aside by the Pirates. He'd been up and down for two years as a starter. Wasn't very good. He was in their bullpen pitching, like, meaningless innings in the fifth or sixth inning. He said one day he figured out that the average score was 10-2 to 2 when he came in or something, it seemed like. So, <laughs> you know, he was given a fresh opportunity with the Rays. They said, look, go start. Don't worry about it. First couple times he only pitched two, three, four innings, whatever, but the physical talent is amazing, and I think he has matured. That's what I wrote about in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times. He's matured. He's kind of grown into this role. So will he be amped up when he throws the first pitch against the Marlins? Absolutely. Probably we could put like 105 as the uh, over-under <laughs> on the miles per hour on the first pitch he's going to throw. But I think he you know, he's seen other guys get this opportunity. I think he has the right perspective of not making too big a deal about it. Uh, the whole story of how Cash told him was hilarious. He just called him in one day back, I don't know, 17th, 16th of March. Last night I was pitching in Bradenton, but they all met up in Port Charlotte first. And Cash called him in for a minute and said, you got the opener. Last night I said, he said, cool. And then he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the reaction you want, I think. One thing he has done, Mark, he was primarily a two-pitch pitcher, and those two pitches were A++, obviously, fastball curve. He's now added a slider. I mean, if he can control this, this this, this could really elevate him to another level, I would imagine. No doubt. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because with the slider and the confidence he has now, which is really high, he's brought the changeup back a little bit too. And when the changeup was the only option, he said he almost hated to throw it because he just feared something was going to go wrong. But now that he's got the slider and he's done well with that, he's also got the changeup. And he said something the other day, and I exact phrase, but he said, pitching is a hell of a lot easier when you got four pitches instead of two. And there's something to be said for that. And then, you know, the, he's even like refined it to the point where one of the big things in spring was making sure the slider was fast enough so it was different looking to the hitters than the curveball. And when you're, when you're, you know, on that fine of a point to, to really perfect this, you got to feel pretty comfortable with the overall, you know, shape of the pitch, the design of the pitch, the ability to repeat your delivery. And I think he feels really good about all those elements of it. And Mark, you've written about Chris Archer. And of course we know the hall they got back from the Pittsburgh pirates, uh, guys like glass now and Meadows, um, for him, but he is back now with the Rays. How do you think his second stint will go, and, and what's different about him that you've observed since the last time he was here? Well, I, I think as Cash was the first one to say it, he's got a little bit of gray hair now, so that's one thing, and uh, he <laughs> cut his hair short. He doesn't have the the signature dreadlock that he had uh, going on when he was here with the Rays, and, and you know the hair was kind of the thing. 
Um, but I, I, you know, look, my sense, and, and you know, we ha- we're not in the clubhouse. Obviously, we're in, so our, our interactions are much more limited. We don't see how these guys carry themselves, which sometimes, as you know, is a is a big tell. Not even when you're talking to a guy, but you just watch how he acts around it. The other players sometimes can tell you a lot. So we haven't really seen that, but everything we have seen and heard from Chris Archer is he's appreciative of the opportunity. He's incredibly excited to be back. He feels like he missed out. You know, you, you go back and look, the Rays weren't very good through pretty much, you know, those last three, four years. He was he made it into the playoffs in 2013. He stuck in at the end there. He pitched in the, some of those playoff games. And then they weren't all that good, 14, 15, 16, 17, first part of 18. Since he left, they have the second most wins in the major league. So he missed out. They've been in the playoffs twice. They're in the World Series. He was sitting home. So I, I think he feels like, you know, he wants to be part of this. He was here for the building. He wants to be part of the fun. Uh, now, pitching-wise, we'll have to see. We only saw him, I think, in three actual spring training games. He did a lot of backfield work, which sometimes can be concerning. Uh, you know, they said he threw five innings, 75 pitches the other day. He'll follow Rich Hill. They'll kind of piggyback or tandem start. Uh, game three on Saturday in Miami, and then it looked like Archer would pitch the second game at home against the Yankees. So that'll be quite a test for him uh, to be stretched out to a normal, you know, five, six type inning thing there. But they're going to be careful. He did not pitch last year. And I think any guy, if you look at that, you're going to say you got to be a little careful with him coming back, uh, much less a guy who's 32 and didn't pitch a full season in 19 either. But I, I think they're excited. I think they like the attitude. They like what he's had to say. You know, he's obviously a presence in the clubhouse. They've got an interesting mix of guys in there now, young, old, um, you know, new to the team, been with the team a while, had experiences in the major league on good teams, on bad teams. And they've got a really interesting and eclectic mix. They sure do. And, of course, the big story at the end of the spring training in particular is the loss of Nick Anderson, no better guy out of the bullpen a year ago, virtually unhittable, really, and, and, a, and a high-leverage guy at that sometimes – uh, getting the last three outs in many occasions. So, look, I, I think their bullpen is, is deep, to say the very least, but how do they account for losing someone as consistent as Anderson, whether that's, you know, with Fairbanks, Castillo, Kittredge, Cody Reed? I mean, how do you think they're going to work their bullpen now without him? Yeah, I mean, obviously the bad thing about that, Rick, is Nick Anderson was the highest leverage guy they had. I mean, they – kind of use the group approach. They don't name anyone the closer, but he was the guy that got the most important duty, whether your regular season, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, postseason, we saw him fifth inning, sixth inning, maybe even the fourth inning one game. So, you know, he was the guy they trusted the most, and, you know, there's no getting around that. Now, Diego Castillo and Pete Fairbanks have both done it, and they've done it fairly well for the Rays. Castillo with more experience, obviously, than Fairbanks, but you had three guys doing it, and the one that you trusted the most is out. Obviously, the equation's going to be different. Now, one of the questions is, do they just kind of split those moments now among Fairbanks and Castillo, or do they try some other guys? You know, do, you, do you see an Andrew Kittredge in one of those moments? Do you see Chaz Rowe in one of those moments? Do you see Cody Reed from the left side, who's had an incredible spring, and right now looks like he's going to be a real force in their bullpen. So I, I don't know that there's an answer. Look, in, in a normal quote-unquote year, I don't think any of us could predict Kevin Cash's bullpen moves and what he's going to do. So now you take one of the key guys out of the equation, uh, and don't necessarily replace him with someone of a similar skill set. I think it's going to be interesting, fascinating, uh, frustrating to try to guess along. I, I don't think any of us are going to know how they're going to do this kind of thing this year and how they're going to piece it all together. But you did allude to the fact is, and I wrote about this in Tuesday's Tampa Bay Times, that uh, they've got all these different looks among all these pitchers, and they've got guys, you know, sidearm guys, over-the-top guys, 
breaking ball guys, swing and miss guys, ground ball guys. They've really got an eclectic mix there. And I think that's going to be on cash and, and Kyle Snyder to figure out who to use when and how best to maximize that. Mark, they have some days off, at least early in the season, um, you know, starting in Miami and then going to Boston, et cetera. Um, and I think because of that, you wrote that, you know, th- the way they constructed their team um, was that they think some of these guys can can pitch multiple innings, have some days off. They're not going to be too stressed down there. But but were there any surprises when they finally came up with their final roster? And do you think um, as they get into the season, you'll see some some different faces? Uh, and, and invariably, you'll have it because of injury. But um, was there anybody that you know surprised you did not make this roster? Yeah, you know, the position player, it was a really weird year. There were really were no new position players. The only one was the new uh, backup catcher, Francisco Mejia. So even with two guys getting hurt, Brett Phillips and G-Man Choi, there were no new additions. Everybody else except for Mejia on the position player side is the same, uh, pretty much in the same roles where they were. The difference is uh, the starting rotation where they added the veteran guys and the bullpen. So the, the one guy that I think most people or many people thought was going to make the team, and I think he certainly thought he was going to make the team, was Josh Fleming, who was obviously very impressive last year. The lefty as a rookie was 4-0 in five starts, pitched a couple times in relief during the season, a couple times in relief in the playoffs, had a really good spring. But, you know, the explanation, it kind of ties in with what you just said, was that because they have the days off, you know, he would be on the team as a long reliever, like a three-inning type of guy. They already have one of those in Colin McHugh. So they felt like they'd be better off with a couple of guys who are more short reliever types. Jeffrey Springs is probably the guy who made the team in Fleming's place, uh, at least for now. And that can change. You, know, you can start making roster moves after 10 days in, and I think we'll see them you know, start doing things. Because after that, they have, as you said, two days off, you know, one after each of the first three-game series. So two days off in the first eight. And from that point on, they play 30 out of 31. They play 13 in a row, have a day off, and play 17 in a row. So – you know, whether Josh Fleming comes up to take a start and they go to a six-man you know, kind of rotation just to break that up and give everybody an extra day rest, or if one of the veteran guys needs a break and needs to miss a turn or something, I think you'll see Josh Fleming then. But as far as, you know, as we kind of got through the middle of spring and we were going to sit down in one of our lavish pre-production meetings at Steve Cater's and written out <laughs> who was on the roster, I think I would have had Josh Fleming on the roster. You would have only missed one, and, and – uh... Listen, uh, you know, one of the you, you mentioned G-Man Choi is one of the guys that won't start because of his knee injury uh, could be out, I guess, until May. Uh, tell me what impact that may have. And it's hard for me to say this, but I think they may miss him de- as defensively as much as anything. There's a lot of guys that can play first base. But who do you think gets the bulk bulk of those? Yeah, I don't think there's any question they're going to miss him defensively. I mean, he, he worked obviously some good at bats. You know, he might miss two opportunities to face Garrett Cole, which will be a big loss for the Rays because he's had incredible <laughs> success against the Yankees A's. So that alone might cost the Rays, you know, two two wins in the in the poll there. But, you know, I, I think they are going to miss him defensively because I don't think any of the guys that they have lined up to play first, uh, Yoshi Tutsugo as the left-handed hitter, Yandy Diaz as the primary right-handed hitter, Mike Brasso to, to kind of – fill in there a little bit I don't think any of those three guys are as good defensively as G-Man Choi was you know we all you know have marveled at and, and kind of cringed at uh, some of the splits he's done to, to corral throws uh, things like that but even on the short hops and you know not the most agile guy but you know I think he filled the position pretty well you know they play a lot of weird shifts 
you know, I think he, he accounted for himself well, uh, especially receiving throws. So I think they will miss him defensively. You know, he works some good at bats. He could draw some key walks. He hit a few homers here and there. So overall, you know, a lot of it's going to fall to how well Tutsugo uh, responds. He was a guy who was disappointing last year, first year over from Japan. Didn't really see where he was going to fit that well on the team this year because you know, I don't think you'd start him as one of your top three outfielders too often, uh, especially against the right-hander. And I don't think you'd play him at third too often because you, you'd have Joey Wendell as another option there if you're using a right-handed hitter and you wanted a lefty-hitting third baseman. So I think Yoshi Tutsugo went from a questionable opportunity to now he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot. You know, they face three right-handers in Miami, it looks like, and possibly three right-handers in Boston. So there, there might be an extended opportunity for Tutsugo, and the Rays are hoping, I think, fingers crossed, he gets off to a really good start. And that helps his confidence after, like I said, his disappointing debut. Yeah, and there were probably a lot of reasons for that, Mark, just because, I mean, he's coming from a new country. They talked about the velocity might have been something he had to catch up to. Um, look, he's got to do it, right? He's, he's going to get the opportunity. But do you, do you see him uh, being more comfortable at the plate? Has he had better at-bats? He has, and then, you know, on Tuesday, the Tigers started one of their really hot shot young pitchers, Casey Mize, and he struck two to go out twice. And I don't, I think he was, it looked like he was a foot behind on the fastball. So, mm. you know, I think it's still going to be an ongoing thing. He did have some better swings. The first part of the spring was slow. He said in an interview that he wanted to do a lot more kind of tracking pitches and watching pitches uh, and then kind of kick it into gear in the second half. And he did. He was better in the second half. He had a leadoff homer on Monday in Baltimore. I think that was his first homer or against Baltimore and Sarasota. I think that was his first homer of the spring. So he's been better in the second half, didn't finish well on Tuesday. But I don't think the Rays have much choice. They're going to have to kind of pump him up and, and encourage him a little bit. And here's the other thing, Rick. There's four position players that are on the 40-man roster who could be called up. I mean, nobody's actually at AAA now because minor leagues haven't started, but essentially four AAA uh, players that are on the roster they could call up as an option, you know, call up without having to lose anybody. And none of those guys play first base either. I mean, Kevin Padlow has played it a little bit, but he's a third baseman by trade. So it's not like they've got a plan D if A, B, and C don't work out with Tutsugo Diaz and Brasau. So I think they're really going to have to give those guys a little bit of time and hope that the combination of okay defense and good offense and smart platooning and pinch hitting and all that shuffling around we often see. And I could see literally see a game where – Tutsugo starts, Diaz comes over, plays first a little bit, and then Brasso comes in to play defense to close it out. Yeah, we, we certainly could see that. And, you know, what's unusual about this year, Mark, is, you know, listening and watching these guys in the spring. Um, you know, so so often we talk about the Rays being challenged offensively, and that certainly has been sort of the story of their franchise. They've done it with pitching and defense, and they still are built to run for run prevention. But – any talk about the Rays lineup, you mentioned everybody is back. The position players are all there. Um, but offensively, this this looks to be one of their better or if not, you know, their best uh, offensive team. And it all begins with, you know, can Randy Arozarena even come close to duplicating what he did in the postseason for 162 games? He's the biggest piece in that lineup, it would appear right now. No doubt about it, Rick. Look, you and I aren't very good at math. That's why we're sports writers and our wives handle the checkbooks. But if you <laughs> extrapolate what Randy Rosarena did in October over a full season, I mean, he's passed Barry Bonds and everybody else. He's going to hit 80 homers this year. So 
probably not quite at that level, but you know, he is definitely the key. If he can come anywhere close and, and half, half the numbers, if he had 40 homers for the year, I think people would take that in a minute. So what he does over a full season is probably the biggest like X factor to the Rays lineup this year. I mean, Brandon Lau, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a great year. And certainly the very poor postseason put a very kind of, you know, cast a sour or negative vibe on his year. But, mm-hmm. you know, Brandon Lau, again, take what he did over 60 games and put that over 162. And he's 33, 34 homer pace and 100 RBIs also. So he's never played a full season in the big leagues yet. Randy Rosarena hasn't played a full season in the big leagues yet. Austin Meadows was team M- you know, co-MVP and an all-star in 2019. You almost take 2020 and just say it was a wash for him. I mean, he, coronavirus at the start, uh, gets back, rushes to get back, pulls an oblique, rushes to get back, tries to play in the postseason, couldn't turn on any pitches inside. So that was really kind of a lost year for Austin Meadows. So, you know, it doesn't always work out this way, but what if you get, what if, what if, what if you get a full season of Brandon Lau at the pace he had last year, you get a full season of Randy Arozarena, again, at half the production that he had last year, and Austin Meadows gets back to his 2019 form, you know, and then you, you kind of sprinkle in what else you get. Willie Adamas, you know, showing some power here at the end of spring with a 20-homer guy a couple of years ago. Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, this kind of new less is more approach. Uh, you know, go through that lineup. You know, what we talked about two weeks ago, Manuel Margot probably had the best spring of any position player. He looks much more comfortable this year. Uh, than last year when he came over right at the start of spring. So there are some interesting pieces. And, you know, we don't know what you're going to see out of Zanino. We know there'll be strikeouts. We know there'll be power. Mejia, the other catcher in that mix, too. So there's a lot of interesting pieces here. Joey Wendell, you know, it's really one of those some of the parts type of offense. Yeah, it really is. And and they're going to be exciting to watch. I think overall, of course, that outfield, um, you have to talk about Kevin Kiermeyer. A lot of people, including me, thought that he may be dealt. They dealt Blake Snell instead. Mark, you talked to him. He he seems really grateful to be here another year. He's got a new addition to his family, and you know he's he's sort of the he's sort of the longest tenured you know player in that in that clubhouse, and yet uh, still a big part of what they try to do every day um, defensively, and and also he had. Big moments in the postseason last year. No doubt. And, and yeah, I think, Rick, if, if it sounds weird to say, but I'm guessing that somewhere over at uh, one Tropicana Field place, they figured out some kind of formula where they decided that Kevin Kiermeyer, especially with his defense, was more valuable than Blake Snell. And, and you know, it's mm-hmm. nothing against Blake Snell, but you can replace Blake Snell in the rotation probably a lot easier than you can replace Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, in that lineup, especially on defense. So I think that was part of the calculus, why Kevin Kiermeyer is still here and why Blake Snell isn't. And, you know, it's always been about offense for Kiermeyer. He knows it. You know, he's tried different things. He referenced a couple times this spring that when he was hurt in the postseason last year, and he did pretty well after he got hit on the wrist, really was a matter of of swinging uh, with less force, of swinging – you know, less aggressively, uh, picking his spots better, and it worked. Now, does he stick with that all year? Does he get frustrated? Does he have the patience to stick with that? We'll find out all those things. But, you know, it's interesting. I see these lists. You see them, too. You know, top 100 players in the game, top 10 center fielders. MLB Network did that. He's not on these lists anymore. This guy won three gold gloves, and injuries kept him from winning two others. He could have five gold gloves right now. Uh, and, you know, doesn't really seem to get the credit anymore uh, that, that maybe he got earlier in his career. And, and I think that, you know, I think he's aware of that, too. Maybe not as much as Brandon Lau, who in an interview actually out of the blue made a reference to 
I'm going to be better than 53. And I couldn't, it took me a while to figure out what he meant. And that's what MLB Network had ranked him in the top 100 players, 53rd. And that was driving mm. him a little bit. It was interesting to him, for him to bring that up. It really has always been about the sum of their parts, but I, I think they wear that shoulder chip pretty well, the Rays do, and, and they, they certainly will again. Let's talk about you know the position they're in, Mark. I mean, they're the defending American League champs. We haven't said that for a number of years now, and, and that is, you know, they're, they're the hunted. Obviously, the New York Yankees are always going to be uh, the top of the heap, as they say, and, and I think most people would um, have predicted them to win the East again. They're going to have their own injuries to deal with. We know that. Toronto seems to be improved. I don't know if their pitching holds up. Um, you know, where where do you see the Rays? Are, 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 are they the favorites? Is it the Yankees? And, uh, oh, by the way, you know, for years you you followed teams that were talk, talking about moving here. We didn't have a major league team till 98. Now we have two to start the season with, with Toronto and Dunedin, and that's going to be something to watch. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And, and in fact, the uh, Blue Jays just this week announced they're going to stay now at least through the end of May through their third homestand. Wow. At this moment would be their last homestand in Dunedin is a four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. So how yeah. awful the <laughs> logistics would that be? The Rays playing four four-game road series against the Blue Jays in Dunedin. I mean, I don't even know. I don't, Chris Westmoreland, the race traveling secretary. Good luck figuring that one out. Are you, are you putting everybody in a hotel? Are, you, are they driving to the drop and taking a bus? Are you, you, you charging them to that little library by the Dunedin Stadium where that old guy stands out and takes the money for the parking lot? Or are you just going to buy that lot out for the race players? I mean, how are you going to figure that one out? Do they get meal money? I mean, I, there's so many questions and novelty other than that. But the whole Blue Jay thing, I mean, it's fascinating to me that the Blue Jays are going to play their home opener on uh, next Thursday, April 8th, against the Los Angeles Angels. So Mike Trout, Shohei Atani, Albert Pujols are going to play a regular season game, Dateline, Dunedin, Florida, and Joe Madden is going to manage. Those are three guys that may end up in the Hall of Fame, and we'll see if Otani, you know, ends up being good enough to be in that conversation, you know, down the road. But that's wow. pretty amazing that those three guys are going to stand on that field, Madden, Trout, and Pujols in a regular season game. That's just, I find that quite interesting. No doubt. You know, as far as, as you say, the division race, I mean, the Blue Jays are definitely going to be in it. You know, I think you look at the Yankees and they made a bunch of moves. They had a really good team, but they've yet to have all those guys stay healthy. You know, is Stanton going to play the full year? Is Judge going to play the full year? Um, you know, uh, the infield a little bit, you know, not quite as settled. Gary Sanchez, the ongoing saga, bringing him back again behind the plate. And the pitchers they signed with some question marks. Jamison Tyon traded for him. Corey Kluber, a guy the Rays wanted and, and were very close, second in the running for uh, when they were trying to think of maybe getting one pitcher. Instead, they ended up getting three, which probably was a wiser use of their money in getting Archer and Waka and Rich Hill for basically the same money, uh, maybe even a little less than they were going to try and sign Kluber for. But there's definitely questions about the Yankees. It's the difference, as always, though, is when the Yankees guess wrong, if they have an injury, they can just go out and get somebody else just as good or better. Obviously, the Rays can't do that. So I think you always have to give the edge to the Yankees when you are at the start of the year. They are rightly picked. I think I'm at a editor's vote, and 83 picked the Yankees to win the AL East. So I, I do think that's the team most people are going to pick, but I think the Rays are definitely a playoff team. I think as we sit here and look at this, you know, if they end up being a wild card, it's only two wild cards this year. 
back to the normal format, and it could be the Rays and the Blue Jays, but I think the White Sox and Twins are both really, really good. And you, you would think maybe both of those teams are going to make it, and the West is kind of up in the air. So there's going to be some interesting competition for those wildcard spots. But I think as we sit here now, I would, I would predict the Rays uh, pretty confidently as a playoff team. Mark, uh, I'll let you out on this one. You know, a year ago, going 40 and 20, I mean, it was such a bizarre year with COVID, all the protocols. Um, we're going to start the season on, under some of those things again. Um, vaccinations are something that players have to decide whether to do individually or not, I suppose. Um, just how daunting is this challenge uh, for players right now to try to play 162 games with hopefully fans uh, in the ballpark. I know that's the plan. Um, what what's your what are you getting back? What's the feedback from the players? Yeah, I, I mean, I think as we sit here, you know, right here on the cusp of the season starting, Rick, and, and the fact that the testing numbers throughout spring training have been very, very low. I mean, I think last week there were two players out of all the tests, 14,000 tests done a week or something across MLB. And the week before, there were no players and one staff member, maybe. So the test numbers have been really good. I think yeah. there's a lot of optimism right now amongst players, staff, coaches, managers that, you know, they're, they're kind of over the, over the hump here. They're kind of past it. It was very interesting. Late Monday, uh, MLB and the Players Union, first of all, just the fact that they agreed on something is very interesting because we know they can't <laughs> agree on what color the sky is or, or what letter every day of the weekends, and which is why, Steve, in case you weren't listening. But, um, just the idea that they agreed on this new plan and they're, they're basically, you know, incentivizing slash bribing players and coaches to get the vaccine by offering them a massive rollback of these restrictions. Any player or staff member in the tier A, which is about 70 people, players, coaches, and the people who come in close contact, trainers, masseuses, things like that. Uh, any of the tier A people that get have their family travel with them on the road. They can cut back on their testing. They can cut back on uh, some of the other restrictions, some of the mask wearing. They can attend, I think, uh, worship services. They can go to sponsor events. They can do things. And the bigger part of that, Rick, is there's a team incentive here for any team that gets to 85% fully vaccinated, which is both shots if it's a two-shot dosage, and then the two weeks after. So we're about a month out on this. But any team 85% fully vaccinated, you're done with masks in the bullpen and the dugout. You can eat in restaurants now, indoor and outdoor, which will be a big thing. Uh, for the for the non-married fellows, you're allowed to have guests at the hotel now who aren't family members. Mm. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, things. It's a long list. I mean, we could fill up 15 minutes going through it, but it's a long list of things that the owner, the league, and the players are offering to get people to get vaccinated. Now, Look, you, you've been in many, many locker rooms and clubhouses. There's never unanimity. They don't agree on anything. There's many, many diverse cultures, uh, players, different backgrounds, different countries, different religious beliefs, different philosophies. I mean, there's so many different things that players, you know, are molded by. But this is going to be interesting. I mean, if, with 70 in the Tier A group, that's about 14 that you've got to make sure you don't have. You know, you don't want to have those 14 or 15 holdouts. So, Will there be peer pressure? I think there definitely will be peer pressure. Will there be some awkward conversations in clubhouses where, you know, players are talking to other players saying, man, I got it. What's, what's the holdup? Why don't you want to do it? And, you know, it's going to put a little bit of uh, a weird dynamic in the clubhouse a little bit. But I think for the teams that get to that mark, the ability to relax a massive amount of these protocols, and you know, William Adamas said it 
a couple times. He just kept saying, I want to go back to normal. I want to go back to normal. Well, this is going to be, it's not going to be fully normal, but it's going to be really close. And, you know, the owner, the league and the union have put it in the players and coaches' hands now. You know, Florida, the, the law changes on Monday. Uh, the Rays are on the road. They get back Wednesday afternoon. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, if I don't know if they can actually do it Wednesday night as if to find a 24-hour clinic. But if there's not Rays players getting their vaccines Wednesday night or Thursday morning, uh, now that they'll all be eligible here in the state of Florida. That's great insight. Uh, they don't have to incentivize any writers. I know that. Um, I will raise my hand. Raise my hand and have. Yep. No. No doubt. No doubt. I was. Uh, I, I made one of the exception rules, so I've already gotten a shot. And, you know, look, it's, it's our benefit too. I mean, no one knows when the media rules are going to be relaxed. But you know, talking right. with the president of the Baseball Writers Association, you know, he's of the opinion and has actually suggested to all of us who get vaccinated, you know, laminate your vaccine card. Because that may become an element in this where vaccinated media mm-hmm. may get a, a level of you know, restored access to vaccinated players. It may not be in the locker room, it may be on the field or in a tent outside the stadium or something. But just to restore that a level of coverage and, and you know, get off being everything on Zoom and everything being communal will, will be a great benefit as well to, the, to us and media. And, and I hope to the readers as well, they see it that way and appreciate it. No doubt, and I hope the uh, National Football League watches Major League Baseball and takes a note or two, because uh, obviously uh, we'd want to have to, you know, have the same access, and 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 we'll benefit from that as well. He's Mark Topkin. The Tampa Bay Rays open the season at Florida against the Marlins, and then I guess it's on to Boston after that, correct? And then, um, yep, three games at the Marlins, three games at the Red Sox, and then how about this for the karma of things? Now the schedule was done in July or August. It might have even been done before then. It gets put out like in August or so. The Rays home opener, Friday, April 9th, where they will raise the banner as not just American League East champs, but also a banner as American League pennant winners as a team that will be standing on the foul line for that 7, 8, 10, 12 minutes if they drag it out smartly to watch that ceremony will be the New York Yankees and Aroldis Chapman. Huh. Um, I, I just I love it. And uh, the stable will be ready, I'm sure, if they need it. But, uh, Mark, it's going to be a great year. I'm glad uh, we're going to have 162, and we'll follow you as we do every year uh, in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Stay safe, buddy. All right, Rick. Sounds good. Great talk to you. Oh, it's going to be a long season for Mark Topkin. I always think this, you know, one of 162, that is a that is a long haul for a beat writer, uh, much less one that has done it as well and as long as Mark has. So this is exciting for him, uh, I'm sure. It is opening day. We'll recap tomorrow the Rays and the Marlins. And the Lightning host Columbus. They're going to try to break that three-game losing streak. I know Lightning fans are panicked, but you could be the Buffalo Sabres, who on Wednesday night won a game. Snapping an 18-game winless streak. Goodness. 0-15-3. Wow. And they crushed the Flyers 6-1. to one. Who That's a team that's a mess, too, the Flyers. Yeah, I thought they were going to be good this year. I thought that they were, you know, on their they way They were up. for a while, but they've been a mess of late, so. Hmm. Well, hopefully the Lightning can turn it around. Of course, they'll have Vassie in that. That'll be good to see. Um, I, I thought they played an okay game the other day. They just didn't get any goals. So, At Wednesday's practice, Hedman was there. McDonough was there. Chernak was skated for about 10 minutes and then left the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was, like didn't leave injured, but I don't think he's probably going to play Thursday night. What about Jan Ruda? Is he, he out? He was, not on, he was not on the ice on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So 
but with McDonough skating again, my guess that's is he big. comes in, Root is out. So yeah, um, that's most that's likely huge. that'll happen tonight. So yeah, that's definitely huge. And then, um, of course, we're also going to have a chance to talk to Bucks General Manager Jason Light as the virtual owner meeting owners meetings continue. Uh, Jason can also take his bows for getting most, if not all, of the um, starters back from the the Super Bowl Fifty Five team. He's still one out there. Antonio Brown was several actually, if you count guys like Blaine Gabbert and others. Um, but we'll we'll be able to check out. What Jason has to say about their plans is they turn their attention now to the NFL draft and pick number 32, which should happen sometime after midnight, <laughs> after the Thursday of the of the draft. I, it's going to go into Friday for sure uh, when you're picking last unless they move around. So lots to talk about tomorrow. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 